Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast, where we discuss films from every genre. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. Welcome back, listeners, to the fifth installment in our Star Trek retrospective series. Today we are discussing Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. This is your co-host, Corbin. And I'm Brad. And if you haven't yet seen, or should I guess I should say listen to, the previous installments in our movie review series, then you're not going to want to miss out on those. And those are available in the archives over on our Podbean website, over on iTunes, Google Play, wherever you listen to your podcast. So go ahead and make sure to listen to those episodes first before you listen to these. And if you're looking for even more content, if this isn't, if the Monday show isn't enough and you want some extra content then go ahead and head on over to our patreon page the link is in the description below and we have our thoughts on the latest movie news and trailers bonus podcasts movie commentaries you can do a Q&A ask us anything we have all of that great content over there for the price of a Starbucks cup of coffee the coffee's good you drink it but then it's gone this content is yours to keep and it really does help us out as well and a free way to support us is heading on over to iTunes and leaving us a five-star review no that's not to inflate our ego that is to help others find a movie review podcast that they can engage with because we love talking about movies and we love talking about them with you so that five-star review really does help us get noticed in the rankings and grows the silver screen guide community and brings more people in well star trek 5 is actually directed by one of the longtime star trek alums just like star trek 3 and 4 were directed by leonard nimoy this film is directed by none other than william shatner it was released june 9th 1989 it was written by david lowry and the score is done by the famous jerry goldsmith now david lowry is new to the star trek scene he has not written any of the previous films the budget for the film is bigger it just keeps getting bigger 33 million dollars domestically it grossed 52 million dollars and worldwide it was 63 million so it's done okay for itself it's not as it's not the highest grossing one we'll talk about that here in just a minute now currently the film on imdb holds a 5.5 not a high score in any respect not at all. And on Rotten Tomatoes, it holds only 22% wow, of critics recommended really the film. It's wow. abysmally low. And it kind of makes you wonder what those 22 were thinking, 22% were thinking. I know. I did read one review that gave it an extremely high score. This reviewer, I don't remember where it was from. I don't think we they, were watching the same movie. No, they absolutely loved it. But critically, it was hated. The meta score was 43 now, if you compare these numbers with Star Trek IV's numbers, Star Trek IV has a 7.3 on IMDb. It has 85% critical praise on Rotten Tomatoes, a 71 on Metascore, and an A+. On CinemaScore, the funny thing is, audiences clearly gave it an A+. There's no higher rating. They gave that to the fourth film. To this film, they gave it an A-. The audiences at the time really didn't think it was that bad. Wow. That's surprising. And in a way, it's surprising, but in a way, it's not. Because sometimes when films come out and fans are really hyped for it, they're in denial. This is what happened with Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Clearly, looking back on it, it's nowhere near the caliber of the other films. But at the time, people loved it, and they just saw it over and over again. Because 
hey, it was a new Star Wars movie. Yeah, but you're such a fan, you know, especially Star Trek. You know, Trekkies have, the, they don't have that name for, for no reason, you know. They just can love everything about Star Trek. So there's going to be a good percentage that will always love anything that happens. Yeah, and it's no surprise because the last film was so well-loved that usually the sequel is going to do usually even better. At least it's going to do really well opening weekend, and it did. No surprise, number one at the box office, $17 million opening and the top five that weekend of June, Star Trek was number one. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, number wow. two. Dead Poets Society, number three. See No Evil, Hear No Evil, number four. And Field of Dreams came in at number five at the box office. Strong competition. It was. It, the summer of 1989 was a very big summer, actually, for films. And Star Trek chose the right weekend because it didn't have any competition, per se. Nothing new was opening that weekend. Right. These movies, although they did come in these places, they had already been out. Now, as far as its rank in the series, adjusting for inflation, this is actually the second lowest grossing film hmm. in the franchise. Of all 13 films... This is number 12. Which one Which one was lowest? Believe it's Star Trek Nemesis, which we haven't uh, yet reviewed. We haven't, yeah. we haven't got to that one yet. We'll get there and we'll talk about it when we do. Right. But you can see that it had a strong opening and then it fizzled out. The word got out, this is not a Star Trek to see. Right. <laughs> now, Shatner originally conceived of the idea... Of, the, of this film, which we're not going to be getting into any spoilers just yet, but Shatner came up with the idea by watching televangelists, whom he considered repulsive, and that's true, some of them were. You kind of think of mm -hmm. the scammers, like mm -hmm. uh, with PTL, sure, uh, Swagger. Yeah. There's a number of them out there, yeah. Yeah, so Shatner kind of found them repulsive, but at the same time fascinating, because they were able to get rich while deceiving people that God was talking to them. And so Shatner did write a script called An Act of Love. And originally, the one of the main characters of this film, Cybok, he was originally called Czar. I, I have no idea why they changed it. And to no surprise, Roddenberry hated the idea. Roddenberry has been upset probably this whole time that they've relegated him to executive consultant. Right, they're just giving him a name's place on, on each film. And they really didn't care for his opinion at all. They didn't take really any of Roddenberry's opinion into consideration. Surprisingly, they originally wanted Sean Connery for the role of Cybok. And for some reason, they did wordplay off his name to create the mythical planet Shakari, which sounds like Sean Connery. Interesting. Very interesting. Yep. I wondered where they pulled that name out. It sounds weird to Such me. Such an odd name. Yeah. To me, it sounded kind of like Shangri-La. Hmm. It evoked that nature, at least with the Shah at the beginning of each. But nevertheless, Shah Curry, Sean Connery, yeah, that's, that's where they got point. it. There was a writer's strike. And so the script was in trouble, not to mention Lowry, Shatner, Nimoy, Kelly, and Paramount had to approve portions of the script, and people were frustrated about portions of the script. Nobody could ever agree. Shatner's feelings got hurt on a number of occasions mm -hmm. because he was—he just fell in love with the story he created. It was his time to shine, his time to direct and take over, and he didn't like anybody changing any of his work. So ultimately, it was kind of a huge mess. Mm, sounds like it. 
Paramount was also worried the script being rewritten so many times that it was going to go far over budget. So the end of the film was actually drastically cut down from Shatner's original vision. No spoilers. We'll, I'll tell you just what Shatner wanted mm. in the film at the end. It's kind of shocking, actually. Listeners, we are going to get into spoilers. So if you haven't seen Star Trek V The Final Frontier, it is streaming on Hulu right now. It's possible it's streaming on Prime Video. I It said it was on the app. But I couldn't find it when we looked for it. But go ahead and look anyway if you have it. We are going to get into spoilers. So if you haven't seen the film, go ahead and click pause right now. Watch the film and come back and click play and we'll be ready to talk about it. While vacationing in Yosemite National Park, Kirk, played by William Shatner, Spock, played by Leonard Nimoy, and McCoy, played by DeForest Kelly, are recalled to the newly constructed Enterprise spaceship. Starfleet has tasked them with recovering three diplomats, a Klingon, a Romulan, and a Terran, who are being held hostage on the desert planet Nimbus 3, which is located in the neutral zone. Their captor is Cybok, played by Lawrence Luckenbill, a Vulcan who exhibits great emotion. In fact, Cybok is a messianic guru of sorts who frees individuals of their pain, whereby they gain strength and choose to follow him. When Kirk, McCoy, and Spock touch down on Nimbus, their rescue mission is thwarted due to the surprising twist of the three diplomats now being in league with Cybok. That's not the only twist. See, Cybok is actually the half-brother of Spock, who was banished from Vulcan due to his radical ideas of emotion. Meanwhile, a Klingon bird of prey ship, led by the nefarious Captain Claw, played by Todd Bryant, is fast on the heels of the Enterprise. He wishes nothing more than to murder Captain Kirk, who is universally hated for what he did to the Klingon warriors in Star Trek III. Cybok is now in control of the Enterprise, and he's easily converting its crew one by one. Scotty, played by James Doohan, rescues the trio, but it's short-lived when Cybok recaptures them. Surprisingly, the stalwart McCoy is converted when Cybok shows him a vision of his dying father, and McCoy performs assisted suicide to release his father's pain. Spock sees a vision of his mother giving birth to him and his father's disdain of how human the child is. Kirk refuses to release his pain because he needs his pain because that's what makes him who he is. At the same time, Cybok reveals his master plan to take them back to the Great Barrier at the center of the galaxy because there God awaits them. They do make it through the Great Barrier and on the planet they do face an entity in Wizard of Oz fashion, which Kirk is quite skeptical is actually God since the entity isn't omnipotent, or omniscient, or omnipresent. Realizing he has been deceived, Cybok gives the trio a chance to escape while he battles it out with the angry alien that has been imprisoned on this planet. Spock and McCoy escape back to the Enterprise, while Kirk is nearly murdered by the angry alien and the incoming Klingon ship. He's beamed aboard that ship, but is saved by the Klingon ambassador, who does it as a favor for Spock. Captain Ka apologizes. The Enterprise crew... Klingons and Cybok's followers have a party while Bones asks Kirk if God is really out there. In a surprising allusion to scripture, Kirk suggests God is in our hearts, not floating around out there. The trio go back to camping in Yosemite National Park as credits roll. 
So the first thing I gotta say is that plot summary makes the film sound a lot more captivating yes, than the does. actual yeah. film really is. Yeah. yeah, the way it plays out is uh, is a lot different. <laughs> yeah, and that's one of the things is once you put the story down, which is what I'm sure happened with Lowry and... William Shatner writing the script, they thought, this sounds really cool. Yeah. Well, the problem is when they came to film it, they botched it. They messed it up because the pacing is is horrible. We spend forever with them on vacation. It's so cheesy. Which wouldn't we, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but wouldn't that kind of lie at the hands of the director? I mean, the pacing and, and all of that. I mean, that's kind of the director's role, isn't it? Some of it is, and some of it is also the editor. Um, the editor, I think, but then again, William Shatner, then again, it could be the studio. It's hmm. a number of factors, but the editor probably could have tightened this film up a bit, but nevertheless, Shatner would have been in charge of the scenes that were shot and creating direction, and also the script definitely could have used some cleanup. But the one thing that we did agree on is this felt more so akin to a television episode. Yeah, I think that the the general plot, like you said, would, was good. But the way they played it out, they just had so many things that dragged on way too long, and you felt like you were three hours into it by the time it was over. And it was it was just so slow developing. But it would have been great in a compact setting of a one hour TV series. Yeah, and that would have worked as well. And from what I was reading, this plot isn't entirely unique. There there was episodes from the original series that did attempt to to come to some of these ideas. I haven't seen those episodes, so I can't exactly speak to them. Some of the good things in this movie are, I guess it's well shot. It's fine. It's nothing incredible. And the main theme of the score is well done by Jerry Goldsmith. I liked the music in this movie, although I forgot all about the music. It, it doesn't play a central role, except for the very beginning and ending. I liked the score right, right. better than the Christmas carols of the right, last one. Exactly, yeah. It didn't have that same lightheartedness that it, the last one did. And... I mean, Shatner seems to provide, like, good direction, at least, to the actors. Now, as far as him maybe tightening up scenes, I do think at least he kind of can help the characters do a good job with their acting. Yeah, I think you're probably right there. I um, I have to admit that I just was having a really hard time tracking through the whole movie, so I would... I mean, it honestly was putting me to sleep at a few points. So I was struggling to stay in there. And Yes. The one thing that I think we both did like a little bit is there does seem to be a good Christian message, almost, Kurt gives at the end. But I do think the film seems to be too ambiguous and possibly too pandering to all religions for this to be commendable. I was a little surprised when Kirk said, maybe God's not out there, he's in here, which reminded me of when Jesus says, don't look for signs and symbols saying, oh, it's here or it's there. He's saying because the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is within, that's correct. Yeah, it, the film really did have some interesting philosophical and spiritual explorations you know they just some of the dialogue really went into really philosophical areas and theological areas and, and spiritual areas that surprised me actually it did me too i was the one thing that did worry me though is i thought they were almost going to become very blasphemous 
by <laughs> yeah i did too i was worried about that toward the end there when it was uh when it was this uh apparition of this god and it, uh, clearly that was quickly we picked up that was not the real god right it seemed to that that at first seemed to imply this pantheism worldview of one voice many faces yeah, I did. They, they were really trying to uh, to elevate all roads. It seemed like all roads led to the one God. What I th- also thought, and this could be a really big stretch, but one of the things that hit me while we, we hadn't talked about this, but when we were watching the film, is is when they discover this, when, when Cybok discovers this, uh, this entity, this, quote, deity, which I began to call a demigod, because he clearly is not the God Almighty of the creator of the universe. He's not even smart enough to know who they are and where they're from and what they're doing. But he's yet he's been locked away for obviously a very long time. And it almost made me think of the parallel in scripture in the book of Revelation when Satan is locked away for a thousand years. You know, which, which is, of course, is a metaphorical term, the thousand years just meaning a very long time. But the idea that here's this demigod, Satan thinks of himself as a god, powerful, but yet not nearly all powerful. And he lures people into searching for him. And that was actually, that's a very good point. And that is somewhat of Shatner's original thinking. Really? Because wow. that wasn't going to be some angry Wizard of Oz alien. It was actually going to be Satan, Interesting. Um, that had deceived them into wow. coming here, and that's why Satan, like you said, was locked away. Yeah. And he behind this great barrier that nobody could get through, and so he was wow. basically deceiving them in order to let him out, let him loose upon the galaxy. So yes, the v- original ending is Kirk Fane's acceptance of Cybok's beliefs to travel with him to the God Planet which to Shatner would be a desolate, fiery waste. When Kirk confronts God, the image of the being transforms into that of Satan, and Kirk, Spock, and McCoy split up in their escape. Kirk eludes capture but goes back to save his friends from being carried away to hell. And also, remember when those big rocks were rising up? Yes. Those originally were actually going to be... They're going to like be maybe angels of light, and then they would like turn into demons. Interesting. I can't even Im- imagine visually how that would play out. Yeah. But the reason we didn't see that is because the studio was worried that would be way too much money yeah. to depict all of those special effects there at the end. So they said, you got to cut it. You're going to get rocks coming up from the ground <laughs> and the Wizard of Oz yeah. from 1939. <laughs> so that's what you get. I think I probably would have preferred it to have been Satan because I think that would have given it a little more theological grounding and an actual more so antagonist instead of this. They never explained that particularly demigod. They never really explained who he was, where he came from, how he got locked away or anything, which kind of leaves you groping for plot holes there. And that is fairly anticlimactic when... Too much is unexplained. When Cybok claims he's had this Mohammed-like vision in the Mm -hmm. desert and he has been led, he must bring a starship to this. And I don't even know. I don't even get the the connections. That was left far too up in the air. Once again, we're just going to chalk it up to there was a writer's strike. There was quite a few script issues. And from what I understand, the movie was kind of rushed into production to get it all done. It was mired in a lot of issues, but nevertheless, yeah, yes, you're you're right. We did need a little bit more explanation 
because the last movie didn't really have a central villain except that floating cylinder mm-hmm. in the sky, which was never explained whatsoever. And like I said, one of the really just bad things about this movie is the plot takes forever to start. And when you find yourself uninterested in dozing within the first act, that's usually a sign the movie's not going to get any better and you just probably should shut it off. But for the purposes of reviewing, we stuck through it and they really right, we did. They really did uh, stretch this out far too long and I was disappointed with how anticlimactic everything was. Yeah. Even the Klingon, we couldn't even believe it when Kirk was beamed aboard the Klingon ship right. and this cap this menacing Captain Claw says, Kirk, I apologize. Yeah, that's just hokey. And they have a party at the end. Yeah, that's just hokey to me. I know. They, it's silly. It's it's hokey, and it's worse than when the Enterprise crew, I think, is splashing around in the Pacific Ocean in the end of the fourth one. Because this just feels like, I knew what movie we were watching. I knew the tone of it. And this one, they totally set us up to they, fail. They did, they did. And again, it panders a little bit to this whole touchy-feely world peace. I mean, of course, everyone wants world peace, but the realities of the world, you know, are that's not happening. But, you know, you have the Romulans, and you have the Klingons, and you have the humans. They're all there together having a big party. Yeah, and maybe they're trying to make some, even some theological statement with that as yeah. well, is kind of this universalism right. where they all say Eden, it's Eden, Shangri-La, it's Nirvana, call it what you will. Exactly. That was a really scene that struck me when you, you could see their parallelism there. They're trying to equate all of them as equals. Yes. And it seems like they're trying to have it both ways in some respects where they're saying like, no, 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 this isn't Eden. This is just kind of a false god. But nevertheless, you know, we are all one, you know, we're all going to have this big party here at the end. And maybe God just lives within all of us, which seemed to be almost a little bit of, I would say, um, monism, where God is everything. God is in one. So once again, I just wish they wouldn't be afraid to take more of a stance on what they're saying. Mm -hmm. Don't be so wishy-washy. Don't introduce theological subjects and then make it so nebulous you can't even make a conclusion yourself. Right. Yeah. If If you really don't believe it, don't even introduce it. Exactly. And that was one thing the scriptwriters and studio executives were very worried about. And even Harve Bennett, who did come back to produce this, he's been a central part of the previous films. He really didn't want to be a part of this movie, but he was saying you can't introduce this big search for God and trying to find God because how are you going to conclude a film like that? Exactly. You, you can't. You're, you're, you're going to end up alienating somebody. Right. That's what they said. You're going to offend certain segments of the audience. You're going to let down most of them because there's no way to depict that on screen in a fully accurate way. And even the beginning where they had, towards the beginning, you know, and on Nimbus, when we see the first scenes on Nimbus and there's the city is paradise, you know. And of course, the whole place looks like a desolate desert. Uh, and it said paradise. You saw painted off to the side, paradise lost. It said lost. I don't know if you noticed that. No, I didn't notice that actually. Hand painted. It's like it's like somebody did graffiti over mm-hmm. to the side of the name of the city. Over it said paradise, and then it said lost, kind of down at an angle. So again, another play on theological thoughts about how we live in paradise lost. And that's interesting because the Star Trek TV episode that introduces Khan, Ricardo Montalban's character Khan, he quotes from Richard Milton in Paradise Lost. Good point. I forgot about that. Excellent point. And I do think that 
the Star Trek creators and writers do have this big fascination, it seems like, with Paradise Lost and creating some some important story that I think is they're they're it's too big for them. Yeah. Honestly, they're trying a little too hard in certain areas. The other thing we didn't mention, aside from these bigger aspects, is just visually some of the visual effects are awful. The, some of the worst, I would say, actually. Yes. Yeah, but when agree. Kirk is free climbing <laughs> in the beginning, free climbing El Capitan, the sheer rock face. It's unbelievable. That felt uh, maybe a little bit narcissistic for Shatner <laughs> yes. at a nearly 60 years old to poise himself in the very beginning of the film as having this <laughs> incredible prowess to climb the face of the mountain without any ropes. And when he does fall, it looks like something from the original black and white Superman. How Superman's lunging down to save him in front of a, a screen. It looked horrible. Now, what did you think of the character of Cybok? Because he's pivotal to the story. He was. Uh, it was an interesting. It was an interesting choice, first of all, to have a half brother of Spock. I thought that was a uh, real uh, interesting twist, but it didn't make sense to me in that he was nothing like any Vulcan that I'd ever seen before. And in the dialogue, we learn that according to Cybok. Vulcans used to be very passionate, very heart-feeling people. Uh, we know none of that. At least I don't remember any of that ever coming out in the original series. They were all just very logical, you know, dispassionate type of people. So his character was just very, wasn't real believable to me. He just seemed almost goofy at times. Just didn't seem real believable. I could tell the actor was trying, and I appreciated that. The actor seemed to be buying into his character, trying his best, but nevertheless, he didn't have enough of a powerful charisma or presence for me to really believe him. I would say until pretty much towards the end, where there is this possibility everything he has done and said is true. I did actually like that aspect yeah, of the film where too. they do get beyond the Great Barrier and right. he's saying, I told you, don't you believe me? And I thought, okay, this this is kind of clever. I'm interested in his character now. Otherwise, he seemed like some somebody that would be best served on the television episode. Yeah, the people, again, they didn't develop that, that storyline with his uh, his abilities, his almost uh, Star, Star Wars Force-like abilities to communicate with people and to influence the way they would act. Because uh, people would just too easily just melt into his arms and just, you know, give up all their pain and everything. And he, he didn't really have to pull that out of him hardly, you know, except a few times of say, you know, go ahead, give me the pain. But it's interesting because you mentioned Shatner's uh, thinking about the televangelist. That's where they could have actually developed a more charismatic personality in, in this character of Cyborg. Yeah, and I think they should have had him be much more charismatic. Yeah. And... Yeah, they didn't explain that, how he would have people see visions and they could physically interact with yeah. them. And everybody else around them could see that. Like they saw McCoy's mm -hmm. dad yeah. dying. And I think at first we thought they were trying to promote euthanasia. But then we learned that a cure was like come out right after that, which seems to imply the opposite of yes. don't euthanize someone because there could be a yeah, cure. Exactly. That's, that's true. So yeah. I think that was good. But once again, the movie gets a little too ambiguous coming mm -hmm. down on these. Well, Brad, what is your rating and recommendation for Star Trek V, The Final Frontier? Well, it's almost impossible for me to think of any Star Trek movie, because I am a big Star Trek fan all my life, it being less than 
recommended for some reason, but I, I think I'm going to go with a solid five. If you're a Star Trek fan like me, you're going to watch it once, but I would never watch it again. I completely agree. Star Trek V, The Final Frontier is, I wish, the final nail in the coffin <laughs> for this series. The series, at uh, this point, it either needs to be put to rest because it's been going on for many decades, many, many decades. And that's admirable. Five theatrical films coming from a TV show? Pretty admirable. and But this one really left me... Uh, like I said earlier about uh, at the end of almost two hours, feeling like I was three hours tired. I was just really tired at the end of it. I don't want to go through that again. No. And to me, that says the series either needs to be done now. Mm-hmm. They can't think of anything better. Or because considering the for- the fourth one was a comedy, this one is a weird theological it's, wannabe it's biblical a, epic, but it's strange mixture. fails. Yeah. Or it needs to be rebooted in a really fresh way. And I think back in the day, I can remember, I did not, I do not actually recall ever seeing this film in the original showing back in 1989. But I do... Dodged a bullet. I I did, I did. (laughs) Because I think I would have remembered that one. (laughs) But but on the other hand, I think I do remember uh, the feeling and the talk amongst other Trek fans. This was it. This was the final frontier this was the end of the series that you know they've done five they're not going to do another one this is it so everybody wanted to see it because they thought it would be the end and i thought that as well when you call a movie the final frontier you assume it's the final one yeah what else is there to go explore there's no indication to me that they considered this to be their final movie although some of these actors are uh, mccoy is nearly 70 years old in this movie and everybody else is nearing 60. Now, that's fine. They can still act. But to me, you would think at some point they would want to retire from it, considering they've been doing this since the early 60s. It's true. So that's why I said it should be rebooted in a fresh way if they're going to continue with it. And last time there was a low bar set. But considering the two films together, the previous film was great. Right. If I had to rewatch one, I would rewatch that previous film. Absolutely. Because it at least knew what it was trying to be. Mm-hmm. It, it was trying to be a lighthearted comedy with a weird, you know, fish out of water mm-hmm. time travel. Um, I, I just couldn't believe how boring this movie is and how bad this is, considering uh, critically they've been on a massive high since the second film. The, uh, right. they've really been beloved since then and i'm sad to report this is the worst film it's worse than the first it and is. yes even more boring it is don't watch this one listeners <laughs> star trek 5 the final frontier receives three stars out of 10 with a strong not recommend but nevertheless this is not the end of our retrospective series not by a long shot there this is the fifth film there's 13 films Okay, so we got a ways to go, listeners. Don't worry, we're not done with The Final Frontier, even though we sounds like we might be done with it. <laughs> right. We're not done with it, and neither is Shatner, Nimoy, DeForest Kelly. Everyone's coming back next week for Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. It's going to be exciting. Which is probably the perfect title, because The Final Frontier, that's what the TV show always opened with i think space the final frontier that's right that's right which is an exciting title and i did actually look at the poster for this movie and it looks it's a cool poster it looks like they're going to fight a bunch of uh, ring race or something from the lord of the rings yeah that's space is also the ultimate infinite 
So in that sense, it would think like, well, why would they call it the, you know, it's the final frontier, but you never get to the end of that frontier. And that's why I think uh, the title and probably the allure of the sixth film mm -hmm. has always kind of got my curiosity peaked and yeah. attracted me in a way is after the final frontier, the go to the undiscovered country, what could that be a place beyond space? I just hope they don't let me down like they That's did the this hook. time. They're trying to reel you in. I just don't. And what, what <laughs> in the world could Star Trek Seven be called? I don't remember, listeners. So we're both going to be excited. We're both going to be surprised That's when right. we find out. So make sure to click subscribe right now so you don't miss our next week's episode. And also, there's still time to catch up on our M Night Shyamalan reviews. Don't worry. Uh, we will be coming back. Alan will be coming back with me to review the rest of those films. We do have new release reviews as well. We reviewed all the films leading up to Men in Black, International, which just came out this summer, Avengers Endgame. That was a, the biggest, highest-grossing film of all time, considered one of the greatest. We do have our review up for that right now. And like I mentioned earlier, don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Twitter so you can stay up to date with everything that we post. If you head on over to our website, then subscribe through email. I love getting that email as well every Friday at 12.30. Read it on your lunch break. Listen to the podcast. That'll give you something to look forward to before the weekend comes. And uh, don't forget to share it with your friends and family. We love talking about movies, and we love talking about them with you. And if you do... Uh, wish to support us with a donation make sure to do that through our patreon page all of those links are in the description below very easy to find very easy to get to and share as well and like i said don't forget on that patreon page we have tons of bonus content exclusive content that is yours to keep bonus movie uh reviews movie commentaries where you can sit down and it's like we're watching the movie with you we'll talk about the movie insights everything you wanted to know about that movie right there commentary while you watch the movie yourself our thoughts on the latest movie news and trailers q a's and much more that you can support us with it does help us keep the lights on over here at silver screen guide it's not free to host the podcast but but the monday show will always stay free but that's just an extra way so we can make this content even more professional even more better for you so it can just keep uh, growing and growing and it becomes an even better experience for you and for the silver screen guide community so we do want to say thank you for listening and supporting us here on the monday show and if you do want to help us out in a free way go ahead and leave us a five-star review on itunes and we want to say thank you for joining us on this star trek series and we're really looking forward to next week thanks for joining me brad hey it's been great i'm looking forward to next week also we will see you next week with star trek 6 the undiscovered country <laughs>